From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 343 in today's show. It's brought to you by ExpressVPN, DevonThink, and Spokes. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike Hurley. It is Daylight Savings Time day today Ooh. in america which is exactly why we have hashtag snow talk so we don't talk about things like that and Corey wants to know jason have you ever attended san diego comic-con uh cory has apparently not been following my work long enough uh yeah I, in fact the story is that i first of all i went to college in san diego i had a lot of friends in san diego so any opportunity to go back to san diego is great um when the iPad was announced and people started talking about how maybe the iPad would be the perfect digital comic book reader. I uh registered for a press badge for for Comic-Con. <laughs> I was like, I have a reason to go to Comic-Con uh, now. Excuse. For my no work. Reason. <laughs> excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, you know, we can put some links in the show notes, but like I wrote a piece in 2010 about how uh people in the comics industry were viewing the coming of digital comics because digital comics had existed before but you had to like read them on your on your laptop or read mm-hmm. them on uh an, a phone screen and it was not that great and then the ipad came out and i was like oh this is this is potentially something much more interesting i went back it's to 2011 like ebooks before the kindle right there there are yeah. things you can read them on but there's something that might propel this and the ipad i read a bunch of digital comics on my laptop and let me tell you it was terrible i i I would take a macbook air and like lay it on its side on my lap (laughs) and read it because you have to get the shape of the comic which is sideways on the it's not anyway it was not great uh i went back the next year um i went back in 2014 um one thing i learned about comic-con is uh, the best way to go to Comic-Con is when you can register for a media badge and not have to try and get an actual badge. That's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, let's see, what else did I learn? Uh, the crowds are are terrible, and um, I don't particularly like crowds, and the crowds just kept getting worse. And even on the light days early in the, in the uh, convention, like the Thursday, uh, it was still ridiculous and and if anybody has ever been in downtown san diego by sort of like by the ballpark like literally the whole gas lamp district there is wall-to-wall people just entirely full of people it's uh it's not just in the convention center it spills out there are like weird storefronts one year i went and there was like uh an anti-mutant uh demonstration in uh, fake promoting an x-men movie in front of a fake storefront like they spend money to rent out like storefronts and stuff that it, it is, cool, it's cool, but it, but there's so many people there. So, uh, what after 2014, I haven't been back since then, but the next couple of years, what Lauren and I would do is we would go down to San Diego either right before or right after Comic-Con and stay by the convention center. And, you're, you can watch them putting up all the all the stuff or tearing down all the stuff, but there's nobody there. And I would walk around, like, both the times we did that, I would walk around, uh, and, we, and we stayed right down there, and I'd be like, where are all the people? It's so, once huh. you're used to it being completely packed with the Comic-Con crowd, it's so strange to not have them there. But I do love San Diego, and I love that neighborhood. I had that experience when... Uh, Adina and I went to San Francisco on our honeymoon and we, and I was kind of walking through the, the kind of the area around Moscone 
It's like there's nobody here. I've only ever seen this place when it's absolutely teeming with nerds, and there's just no one yeah. around. Uh, so yeah, it's funny, funny kind of thing. Yeah, Ian of Earth in the uh, Discord says it's like downtown San Jose during WWDC, and I'd say yep. it's not because although that was, it, it is in the sense that it takes over the the downtown. That is true. Mm-hmm. The difference is for every person you saw in San Jose at WWDC, imagine there are ten people or twenty people. I'm I'm not kidding. And mutants. I'm not kidding. And they're and they may be mutants. It's true. They may be. Anyway, Corey, yes, I have been. It was awesome. I don't think I'll ever go back because the crowds are too much and I don't know what it'll be like in the future really post pandemic mm-hmm. um it, because of the crowds and how severe the crowds were I'm not quite sure how they can make an event like that happen until um we are back to zero spread essentially of of covid because it was uh yeah if you didn't like crowds before boy but I'm looking forward to going back to San Diego at some point because I love San Diego. If you'd like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord and you can be cool like Corey is. Some follow-up for you, Jason. Photoshop and DaVinci Resolve have both gotten M1 updates. I saw you post about this on Six Colors. Yeah. Photoshop, there was a beta for a while, but now it's official um, and... Uh, Somebody at Adobe, spokesperson at Adobe said that Photoshop runs about 1.5 times faster on uh, comparable M1 machines than it did on Intel machines, which is not surprising. But this was something I saw it. I was like, okay, I wanted to just mention it because that's cool. But it did make me think that I never consider Rosetta on my M1. Like having now used these machines for so long and I'm using mine every day. I really never have to feel like I never have to think about it. Like it wasn't like the first time around, you know, and I remember when I would download software, I would check like, Oh, make sure to check. Oh, am I going to get the universal version? Cause it's going to be that much better. I don't even think about looking, um, because it's, yeah. you know, yeah, I had several updates this week on my MacBook Air and I was like, well, that's great, I guess. But like the the only thing that I wish was running native on Apple Silicon right now is my, you know, high end audio processing stuff, Isotope, because mm. that's always the faster, the better with that. And that mm-hmm. is uh, some of those functions are slow in Rosetta, but generally it's just fine. I, I uh, they've released a Photoshop beta the day that the M1 Max shipped basically. Yep. So um, it's been in beta, but the they, they've gone final. And so like, if you do an update and you're not on the beta, you can get the update and it just works uh, natively. Uh, there are like a couple new, f- it's funny. There are a couple new features that they added um, that are not on Apple Silicon yet. Cause it's like, it was running in parallel. So they're like, for those, you just need to run it in Rosetta instead. But I doubt anybody's really built those into their workflow because they're new features. Um, and you know, I want I wanted to, to highlight DaVinci Resolve just because that's a great you know it's like a free high end audio or video editing app. It's actually quite impressive, and and they've updated that as well. And you're just seeing you know everybody is getting on the uh, getting on the M1 train, which is good because um, not this is the future, but also there's going to be more Macs, and and every day there are more people running on Apple Silicon. So the more the the better. Ming-Chi Kuo has said that AirPods 3 will not be launching until Q3 of this year. This is contrary to some other rumors that are suggesting they're ready to ship now. Um, I have also seen, because we spent some time a few weeks ago talking about what AirPods 
the regular AirPods version might look like, this new version. And it seems like from other rumors and leaks or what have you, that it, it would appear that the new AirPods will be shaped like AirPods Pro mostly, but without the rubber in ear part. So the part that you put in your ear is going to change shape a little bit from the way that the AirPods are currently, uh, but it's not going to have the part that goes inside of your ear. So right. we'll see Still hanging how it ends up. Yeah. On the outside of your um, there, yeah. So if Ming-Chi Kuo is correct, and I would assume that he is here because it's this is a pure supply chain thing, right? And that yep. is where the strength of these sources are. Um, I guess what he's saying is if there is going to be an Apple event this month, which I think the, the expectation is that there still could be, uh, that we will not see them until... We will not see them as part of that event. Which... Yeah, I mean, fun. it would seem weird if they aren't going to be out for a long time, and and mm. uh, and yet strange. they're going to announce it. Uh, in this report as well, there was a kind of like a throwaway line uh, where Quo states that Apple is expecting to sell just a million AirPods Max in its first year. Now, a million of anything is great, but not for Apple. I don't know how many I would have assumed, but what yeah. this immediately reminded me of was the sales expectations of the headset that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking about um, the idea that, like the the iPhone Mini, being a disappointment because it doesn't sell, mm-hmm. you know, as many units as the other iPhone models. So there's a real question here about what Apple's ex- expectations are, right? Because Lots of products can be not expected to appeal to everybody, right? Exactly. For the price of the AirPods Max, did they really think they were going to sell an enormous volume of them? I mean, we speculated, I think, even at the time that pricing it the way they did might have been a way for them to get this product out when they couldn't make the volume that would be required for it if, if it sold, you know, more to more people mm-hmm. and and like they reduced the appeal of it was that on purpose because that is one way you you deal with a constraint in in supply and your ability to make them is just price it higher and then fewer people will buy it and then and then you're good so i'm not sure whether to read this as a disappointment or not i'm just looking on the u.s site right now and practically all of the models are two to three week shipping time so this product is selling well based on how many can be made at least, right? So this could have been one of those things which we were talking about that like sometimes they maybe just want to do a thing or they they want to do a thing but they can't do it the way they expected and this it's still selling as many as can be made and that isn't necessarily uh, a bad thing. And right. it is that idea or- like with the iPhone mini, maybe it isn't selling as many models as a Barclays analyst thought it would. But what did Apple want to sell? That's the right. important number. And we they just look don't at the supply chain is. sometimes and say, oh, well, they cut back on their order of this. Mm-hmm. And you can read the tea leaves and like they actually thought there would be more. But we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, though, that the other possibility here is that um, Apple went out with these and said, oh, these are going to be big hits. And then even despite everything, or they weren't thinking about that, and quotes like, it's only going to be about a million. That's their expectation now. Are they happy with it or not? It's not being reported here. But I think it would be the other side of this is what if Apple thought that despite the price, they'd sell a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And 
that would be interesting because they would have to rethink the product. And it's not unusual. We have some recent history about Apple coming out with a product that everybody thought was priced too high and it never really sold well and Apple mm-hmm. eventually just killed it. It just mm-hmm. happened. We'll probably talk about it in a little bit. So that's, for me, is like the big question is, do they look at the AirPod Max and say, yep, that's about right. That's what we thought. Or do they look at it and go, hmm, hmm, what do we do wrong? You know, why why aren't people buying this? Um, I don't know. All right, we, ha- we do have a little bit more follow-up to do, uh, but I think it could be long discussion follow-up, so why don't we take our first break now, and we'll thank Spokes for their support of this week's episode. Spokes is a communications agency. If you have a brilliant idea that you think is going to change the world, Spokes knows that whether you are pitching investors, selling products or services, or a compelling story, is the difference between your business struggling or thriving. In a crowded market, the best story wins, and Spokes helps you tell your best story. Spokes gives lean and hungry businesses the boost of a full-service media agency at a scale that works for you, communication services within your budget. The founding team has decades of experience in tech, news, government, public relations, and marketing to help you amplify your story, allowing your business to grow and go to new places. Are you the next college kid who forgets the thumb drive on the way out the door leading to an idea to sync files in the cloud that will revolutionize the way we use computers? Whatever you're doing, Spokes will polish and promote your story. Go to spokes.agency slash upgrade21 and mention this podcast for a 25% discount. That's spokes.agency slash upgrade21. So that's upgrade to one and mention this show for a 25% discount. Our thanks to Spokes Agency for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So we've spent a bunch of time in the past talking about why someone inside of Apple may want to leak information to the media, right? Because we know that there are there are some rumors well, we're talking about Ming Chi Kuo. We would believe that Ming Chi Kuo is getting the majority of his source information from the supply chain. And that's, I think, much, much harder for Apple to stop. But it seems like people say like Mark Gurman has, uh, they must have some kind of sources inside of Apple because they find out things really soon. You know, even like sites like 9to5Mac would be a similar thing. And we've spent a bunch of time wondering like why maybe someone would want to do that. Well, there has been a bit of a, um, there has been a story in the past couple of days about somebody called uh, Simon Lancaster, who was a former product design architect at Apple. They have been accused of selling trade secrets and details about unreleased products to the media, and Apple has filed a lawsuit with them. And I just thought it was really interesting because this is very public, right? Like This is like a very yeah. public thing. And I can't recall something like this uh, in recent history like that. <sighs> There, there have been some uh, similar things, but this is this is a very interesting one. And also, right, we always talk about consider the source. Why do they want to do the leak? And this, according to this story and these allegations, it's the strangest. This guy seems like he was deluded into thinking that he could barter favorable coverage of his startup that he was doing for leaks about Apple. That seems to be the allegation here is that he was sort of talking to a media member and hoping that they would get positive coverage of their thing if they leaked this stuff to them. Mm -hmm. 
so strange. And was bragging about it. Because we could talk about the ethics of, I mean, there's a question uh, about whether you're trying to induce somebody to break the law or break their contracts in order to give you information. Inducement is sort of a line you're not supposed to cross. You're not supposed to go up to somebody and say, hey, you work at Apple. What? Give me what you know. You're supposed to sort of need to, you need to be a little bit more on the receiving end of something they want to give because you, you don't, as a journalist, want to be basically... In, convincing them to break their contract and to to get themselves in uh, in danger you sort of just want to be there for them if they want to disclose i know that that's a weird distinction but it is a distinction that a lot of journalists make but let me tell you it is a whole other line to cross to barter favorable coverage of a, an unrelated story we'll write this story about your thing if you give us this leak about Apple, that mm-hmm. is beyond the pale. And I think there's no evidence that that happened, but it is uh, a weird motivation. It seems like that there are some stories in the, the reports that have come out about this effect, Lancaster saying it to people. And he may have been under that impression or at least thought that he would get a favor back. You know, like down the line could be like, hey, remember I gave you all that information? Will you do me a solid kind of thing? This is just a very strange story, but it shows one of those reasons, right? This guy was leaving. It seems like he may have been going on to wanting to start his own project project in the future and hope that he would make connections in the media yeah. because of his influence to help him <laughs> later down the line. Yes. Because of his influence, which would no longer be useful yes. the moment he left Apple. Yep. And then the way he goes about it, where he's like, do-do-do-do-do, I'm just going to download all this stuff. Yep. Do-do-do-do-do, no, oh, uh, I am giving my notice. And then like an hour before he's getting his, or a couple hours before he gets his uh, access shut off, do-do-do-do-do, just downloading more important documents. No problem. And apparently like, going it. to some meeting that he didn't need to be at about some project known as Project <laughs> X, which... I don't know. Might, might yeah. be AR, VR. Could be anything. Who knows? Could be. Could um, be a chimpanzee fighting, flying a fighter plane. We don't know. It could be anything. Uh, but they somehow, Apple somehow found out about this guy. Yeah, like, I wonder, is this one of those things where maybe they weren't sure about him, so they planted some uh, some odd info with this guy? Like, they found him somehow, like, in the sense of, like, what he was doing and maybe that he was giving stuff away. But it's super, uh, super strange stuff so this is uh, this is all going into court right now apple's making all these accusations uh but you know we'll see weird i yeah yeah well yeah we will see if this uh if this continues on then uh maybe we'll get some more details about this but yeah it it, it is it, it's a obviously it's apple also making a lesson out of this guy although how can you not how can you not when somebody breaks your confidentiality agreements like this you, you this gotta one seems go particularly bad right like but, and, and this is egregious <laughs> yeah and 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 it's another kind of reminder to people who work at apple that and on one level you know i would say as an employee it, it's probably scary it's like oh wow they're they're gonna they're gonna try to lock that guy up uh on another level though you know your employer entrusts you with secrets and yep. you 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 agree to keep them and that's yep. kind of the terms of employment and you don't have to you don't have to be employed there you could leave but um 
and what he did here is kind of beyond the pale, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it is, this is an extreme, he, what, okay, alleged to have done. Um, the allegations are really extreme and weird. So I'm not sure that this is, I'm reminded of that line about, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong now, but about Watergate and the idea is that these are, they're not very bright guys. <laughs> like sometimes, yeah, sometimes the, the objects lessons you get are, um, are not, very clever people doing a very subtle thing it's uh somebody bumbling and stumbling and doing something incredibly dumb and at least these allegations seem kind of more like that especially downloading stuff because i mean my assumption is that's all tracked like if you're downloading files like if it's a confidential files it will be trackable traceable at least like when i worked in uh, a bank it was if something was marked as confidential, everyone that downloaded it or printed it, it could be traced as to who did that. Exactly. And they do that with like screenplays all have like watermarks on them. Yep. And in fact, I I, uh, I get a chuckle about this. I've been watching For All Mankind season two, um, which I've got uh, Stephen and I got screeners of and Dan Moran has screeners of. So we're in advance we're, and we're, we're recording all of our uh, podcast episodes about uh, episode by episode through through For All Mankind season two in advance. We're just we're we're recording them sort of two at a time, mm-hmm. um, which means I'm using Apple's uh, screener process. And again, you could theoretically capture the video of season two of For All Mankind and release it on the internet for all to see. Except it's watermarked. And wh- where I notice this is sometimes there'll be a very dramatic scene, and somebody will <laughs> walk into a room and they're about to say something, and suddenly right next to their face, the word J period Snell appears, and I'm like. <laughs> Hey, that's me. My brain is like, oh, it's me. Oh, right. It's the watermark. But for a moment, I'm like, Ooh, how do they know? And I'm like, well, they know because it's the screener. But I hope that's that at there. some point they put up like a sign up sheet, you know, like to who's getting on a certain mission. And yeah. It's just your name. <laughs> yep. Yep. How do they know? It's like it's just for me. Uh, Apple is amending the wording in Apple podcasts in <sighs> iOS 14.5 to say follow rather than subscribe for when you add a new show to your library. Apparently, 47% of people (laughs) think that subscribing to a podcast means that you have to pay. This is being used a lot. I keep seeing this in reports to suggest why Apple might want to do this. I don't think that this will do any... So here's the thing. I don't think changing the word from subscribe to follow is going to make any meaningful change in people signing up to like getting a podcast like i just don't think that that's that there is a I, real cause and effect here mm, that in meaningful I, num- I meaningful think, numbers i don't i think it. meaningful i don't know i think it's an interesting example i mean if we back up for a minute of uh nerd tool builder culture because the nerds who build the tools name the tools right and sometimes mm-hmm. what that means for big stuff, there's like Apple has marketing department and they come up with names and even those names are occasionally, you know, pro max. So they don't always do a very good job either. But a lot of times it's the nerds building the tools and they it's the nerds naming the tools. And uh, sometimes the user experience, the labels are not the best because the people who are building them are really good at building the tools, but they aren't necessarily good at coming up with the names. And this is an example where we have RSS feed culture dating all the way back to Dave Weiner, presumably. And the idea of subscribing to an RSS feed, the subscription model, it's not a bad example 
Uh, it's not a bad word to use necessarily. It sort of explains what you're doing. But from that, you end up with it being repurposed into the podcast model. Again, not not a bad choice at the time, I would even argue, because I think it really describes it is a subscription model. It's very much like I, I, I say to people about podcasting that as somebody who worked in magazines for a long time, I feel like the relationship between the podcaster and the audience is very similar to if you're a magazine or a newspaper, because there's an expectation that you're going to be get new, getting new installments every so often. It's very different than if you're just putting articles up on the web and hoping people come to your web page. It's a, it's a totally different kind of feel. That said, subscribe on a button in an app has got a different context now. So I don't mean well, to blame the nerds who build the tools. I, I kind of get where they were coming it from. It depends where you're coming from, though, because as Kate pointed out in the Discord, YouTube has subscription, and it's free. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is arguably a bigger market than the old newspaper market. But right? they also have follows, right? Like, so now you've got a button and a bell that you have to ring in order to... Well, like, one's notifications. Notifications. Like, here's the thing. The, the other part to yeah. my point of why I don't think this is going to help, because I actually think that step two harms it more, because what's the probably the reason Apple's done this is not because 47% of people think you have to pay for podcasts. It's to set, in st- it's to set like the, the points in place so you can actually have paid podcasts in Apple Podcasts. And mm. if you introduce paid podcasts to Apple Podcasts, more people will think you have to pay for podcasts right. than the amount of people that thought it before. So I don't really think that this is helping anything. I, I think you make a valid point. I don't know if I'm entirely convinced, but I think you make an important point, which is even if they're not doing like paid podcasts per se, but maybe there's some other kind of there's things that you get with your subscription or whatever, and they don't call it like there's no button that says buy this podcast. You still want to separate the concept mm-hmm. of connecting to a podcast to a term that is often perceived as being a payment relationship. As a podcaster, I think this is great because I think it makes a point I'd never really considered before, which is that, uh, People may not be wanting to subscribe to my podcast because they're afraid that it causes some sort of liability on their part. And f- follow is a social media term. It's not. Um, it's it's something people understand. And honestly, a lot of the way podcast apps are are designed, right? Like so many people. Uh, are listening to podcasts and they're they're streaming them. They're not even downloading them in advance. There are a lot of podcast apps that don't even download uh, in advance anymore. They just stream the podcast. And, and so you tap and, and then what you're really doing is subscribing. You might be downloading it. You might just be having it appear in a list of new podcasts for you to listen to, which is actually pretty close to a social media follow. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. And I think that maybe there is a little bit of a benefit and I'm tickled by it because I think it's a great example of looking at uh, terminology that makes perfect sense from one angle, from a different angle, and realizing yeah. that all of us who are who have been working with uh, RSS feeds for a long time and understand the subscription relationship and call it a subscription, then you look at a poll or a survey that says almost half of the people misinterpret the word. And I, I love that because I had no idea and it, and yet when prompted when given that piece of information i think to myself oh actually that makes sense yeah <laughs> like oh oh yes this has been miscommunicated or at least it's 
less clear than we might have thought. So I'm fascinated by this. I don't think it's going to revolutionize podcasting. This is going to do it, Mike. Finally, people are going to get podcasting now that there's one word different on a button. I had to unfollow a vast amount of people, <laughs> like more more than three people who were reporting on this news of that. It's just like, I'm done with these bad takes. And like, I follow yeah. a lot of journalists. Do you reply and, to them and say, unsubscribe? No, I was just done. I Because it's just like, I, I'm kind of fed up now of the, finally, this is the thing that's going to mean that, that everybody gets into podcasts. Like, this is what I mean about like this 47% survey. It's like, I don't know if these if these are the people that would have even been listening to podcasts anyway, right? Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like these are people that clearly had never really looked into it. It was like, mate, hey, do you pay for podcasts? Uh, yeah, and then move on, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what the intent of these people is. Neither do I really think that changing this wording is now going to make people go like, finally, oh, I didn't think I could get this content. Like, I just. I, I find this stuff frustrating a lot of the time of like, I've made a point and here is the survey to back up my point. Like, okay, but what is what was this survey? Nevertheless, yeah. I don't like follow as a phrase for podcasting. I just don't like it. It doesn't feel right to me. I don't like the Hey, follow upgrade. In your podcast app of choice. I don't like it. Because yeah. also, I mean, it's not going to work unless everyone now adopts it. So... Right. Which we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I think with they'll that. have to because like I think Spotify call it following. I believe mm-hmm. if Apple do it too, all of the other apps are going to have to start to do it. And I'll just get used to it. Whatever. Like I'm not that stuck yeah. up on it. Uh, I'm not going to do like the netcasts model here. No. Um, but I just <laughs> um, personally, I just prefer the word subscribe to the show than follow the show because follow. I don't know. Like I, I like to think that there is a personal element to the shows that I make and it's a choice that people make to want to listen to the content and follow just seems too passive to me to, to the to the way that I think about podcasts well anyway um, follow us on iTunes don't hate that <laughs> subscribe to us on iTunes would be the better one right follow on Apple Podcasts subscribe in iTunes subscribe on iTunes yeah <laughs> uh, talking about podcasts you uh, put something in our document that just says Jason in capital letters loves this feature, and you're talking yes. about the new Overcast Watch app. Uh, as somebody yeah. who doesn't use an Apple Watch, can you explain to me what's so great about this feature? So a new version of Overcast came out, and it has a brand new watch app. And Marco did a really good job. I I, I am somebody who runs several times a week, and I run with the AirPods in my ears and the watch on my wrist, and I leave my phone at home. And because I don't want it like wiggling around in my pocket, right? Like there's no, it's freeing to not have stuff weighing down my pockets when I go for a run. Um, And on ATP, Marco always talks about how nobody uses that feature. (laughs) Like it's so depressing. He's like, oh, it's just, it's a tiny fraction. Like more people use this other obscure feature in Overcast more than they use the watch app. But I do think, so I despair about him updating it. And he didn't update it for a while. And it does feel like this is like the third time I've heard, like, there's a new Overcast Watch app. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like it's something he struggled with. Well, the first time it was really just like a remote for the phone. And then the second one, it can do standalone. But it's limited. And the third one really is a standalone app. And it kind of parallels the evolution of what a, an Apple Watch app is supposed to be. Because they were originally just phone apps that ran, dis- that displayed on your watch. And, and then there was this weird middle point where... Where they were supposed to be independent, but they kind of weren't, and now they're much more independent. So Marco 
finally built this and I think it's interesting because he must feel like there is a competitive advantage to do this because like he keeps saying not that many people use it but it is important to have a podcast app with this feature because people think they want it or they're shopping for a an app and you need to be able to say yes we have an Apple Watch app but he did a great job it is truly independent you it's got a reload button on it Mike like literally that you can be somewhere without an iPhone mm. with, with just a cellular Apple Watch and tap the reload button, and it will talk directly to the Overcast servers, find out what podcasts are new, put them in your playlist, and then if you tap them, it will play them. Now, some yeah. of that the old app did, but what I always found was the old app really wanted to talk to the Overcast app on the iPhone, and that was the definitive source mm -hmm. of what podcasts existed in the world, right? Like, So it could... Once it knew a, a new episode of a podcast came out, but it didn't have it locally and I was out running, it would stream it, right? Because it knows what the URL is of that podcast file. So it would stream it and I could listen to it. But if a new episode came out and I hadn't synced up my iPhone and my Apple Watch overcasts together, the Apple Watch wouldn't know about that new episode. Ironically, yeah. it was off an ATP. Go for a run and be like, the, uh, the new ATP episode dropped and it wouldn't be on my watch, wouldn't be listed. Uh, and there's literally nothing I could do at that point because if it if it's not in the universe of what's on the Apple Watch, it can't play it. The new version doesn't talk to the phone. Like it doesn't talk to the phone. It talks to Overcast's uh, web service, and so now it will. You know, it, I still <laughs> I built up this thing where I would launch before I go for a run. I launch Overcast on my on my watch and on my phone, and I let them sort of talk to each other a little bit. <laughs> And now really what I need to do is just launch Overcast and tap the reload button before I go out the door so I'm on my Wi-Fi and all of that. But anyway, it's much more stable. Um, it's much more uh, freestanding, which is important for me because I'm using a cellular watch and I'm I'm leaving my phone behind. Um, it's got chapter skip now. It's got variable speed now. A bunch of other really nice stuff. He did a great job. It's a, it's a really good app. So uh, for me, when the... Apple Watch was announced, I had this idea that, oh, wow, I could I could go out with just the watch and go for a run with just the watch and some headphones and leave my phone behind. And the truth was, in those early days, that was not a possibility. Mm. But it's gradually become that. And this software update just pushes it forward that much more. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm glad that he did it. Um, I use this feature so much that I actually stayed off the Overcast beta for quite a while. <laughs> Because I was afraid it was just going to break my thing, and and my thing was working pretty well, <laughs> but uh, I finally dove in, and uh, it's it's a lot better. So I'm I'm glad he did it, and it's a it's an app. Like I said, I use several times a week when I'm running, and uh, I'm very happy that it uh, it is uh, it, it's a real app now. So I love it. I do. It sounds cool. I mean, I remember when I I only ever had one um, LTE watch which is the th series three uh i think a later what the i think the most recent one i have the five six six it has um cell needle connection but i've been struggling with my carrier to move over from one to another and i just ah. gave up in the end um but i remember when i was trying to really you know use the series three it always felt like even though it has a connection the watch desperately, every app I used wanted to find the phone. 
Yeah. Just like, even when they were not connected, you know, like you'd get the little phone with the line yeah. through it or whatever. And all the watch wanted to do was find the phone. And it, you know. That was the real growing pain part mm-hmm. of the Apple Watch as a platform, right? It is, so it starts out and the only way they can get it to work is to make every watch app essentially subservient to the phone. It's mm-hmm. it, the phone. It's just a little sidekick to the phone. The phone is the source of all knowledge you got to go back to the phone. If the phone's not around, the Apple Watch is essentially useless. And Apple, you know, realized that was a problem, but they ha- that's where they had to start. They felt they had to start right there. And then you end up in this period in the middle where they're like, well, kind of, you know, it's kind of standalone. It can do some stuff when it's away from the phone. Um, and the, the Overcast app is a perfect example, right? Which is it won't sync to the web service, but if it syncs the data, it'll stream it over the internet. Like that was the compromise and every app was different and some of the apps didn't do that and some of the apps did do that. And it's very mm-hmm. frustrating. And I feel like the Apple Watch is now creeping forward into a world where it's really expected that your app is going to work without the iPhone around and that you should build the app. Like if you've got a calendar app, it should talk to your calendar servers, not check with the iPhone. Whatever your app is, it should go out to the internet itself on Wi-Fi or cellular if it has it to do that rather than go back to to mommy yep. and say please give me the internet now and and so we're we're getting there but i understand i understand why they didn't make that decision at the beginning they just couldn't in order to do it and and it is given that they made that decision it's not surprising that they had those growing pains but it was very painful right like there was nothing it was a really bad experience they're going to the right place but you end up in this weird middle ground where you can't tell before you leave home if this app will work or just cease to function because the iPhone is not around. It's better now. And those kinds of feelings, that sets a bad long-term precedent in the user, right? Like if it doesn't work, you like, and you, you have a big failure point, uh, you might not use it again for a while, you know? Like, oh, this yeah. sucks, and then you just stop using yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And and that was a that was a tough time. But now, you know, obviously this has been a real uh, push at Apple. Like, last year, or I guess two years ago, they did the App Store on the watch, right? And, like, the App Store on the watch is kind of silly, but it is part of a message that the watch is its own platform and that it can do stuff itself. Because the end goal is that you should be able to buy an Apple Watch without an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the end goal. Yep. Is that it should stand on its own, at least. Yeah, better with iPhone, for sure. But that you should be able to just do everything on the device. And yep. I don't know if they'll really get there. It, it would be a weird experience. A lot of it seems unnecessary because most people are going to have a phone that they can use to manage it. But um, I, I appreciate the the drive for that because we don't, you know, you don't want to leave the house with just the Apple Watch and realize that some key piece of information is... You know, it's on, probably in the cloud, but the stuff on your watch doesn't understand that and will only look back at its phone and it can't talk to that phone because the phone's not nearby. So that 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 has to end. But the good news is it does seem like that is getting that all that stuff is getting shaken out of the platform. 
This episode is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all of your documents, snippets, or bookmarks and working with them. With their integrated AI that assists you with filing and searching, while their extensive search language of advanced Boolean operators can help you find it all as well. Uh, Devon thinks AppleScript Dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There is no part of Devon Think that can't be automated. So you can extend Devon Think's functionality of your own commands by adding them to its scripts menu. Devon Think fe- features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network too with everything securely encrypted. So you have the choice for however syncing works best for you. Even templates can have scripts inside of them as well, talking about the Apple scripting. So you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code as well. It has smart rules with flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. So you're able to let DevonThink automatically organize your data with rules for you to define. One thing that I have been using DevonThink for recently, which is really awesome, is to create a searchable database of all of my show notes for published podcasts. So I can bring in RSS feeds. So I bring in all my public RSS feeds and also the RSS feeds for our members shows as well because quite frequently I'll be like where did I talk about this thing I know I spoke about this thing and now I can search in DevonThink for a phrase and it will very quickly find any reference to it either a description or any of the show notes in any of my shows and can give it to me this is now my fastest way to find this piece of information so I'm using it as part of like my memory at this point which is really great Um, and of course there's so many more features they have an iOS companion app they have email archiving scanning they even have an embedded web server so you can share your data securely with your team. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now by going to devontechnologies.com slash upgrade. That's devontechnologies.com slash upgrade for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Apple has given a, a statement to TechCrunch which reads as following. HomePod Mini has been a hit since its debut last fall, offering customers amazing sound, an intelligent assistant, and smart home control, all for just $99. And you're thinking, oh, this sounds great. They just love the HomePod Mini. We are focusing our efforts on HomePod Mini. We are discontinuing the original HomePod. It will continue to be available while supplies last, blah, 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 blah. Apple will provide HomePod customers with software updates and service and support through AppleCare. Goodbye to our friend, the big HomePod. We consign this HomePod to the deep. <laughs> so two weeks, two products going away. Ooh, uh, I think it's pretty yeah. fair to say that uh, the difference between the iMac Pro and the HomePod, uh, it is like the Grand Canyon in between now, <laughs> these two things. And, and yet, boy, it feels like Apple settling all family business, right? Doesn't it? Like This is the going to the yeah. mattresses. They're like, all right, you're out. You're out too, HomePod. Get out. Get out. I find it fascinating that they said we are uh, focusing our efforts on HomePod Mini because that is such a strange little phrase that I think probably is only intended to explain that HomePod Mini continues to exist, right? Which is why that they have added all of, you know, they add this two sentences about HomePod Mini before mentioning they're discontinuing the HomePod. Um, 
I I don't know if I will take it as evidence that there will only ever be a HomePod Mini and there won't be any other HomePod-like products from Apple. I think that's debatable, but it is watching Apple grapple with product discontinuation is just it's a fascinating thing. At least they didn't put it on ice like the G4 Cube. So there's that. Uh, do you think that the HomePod is a failed product? Is it a failure? I know obviously it's going away, but like the iMac Pro wasn't a failure and it's going away. Is the HomePod a failure? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I cannot tell you how hard Apple pushed the HomePod in when it, when they released it. Like it was a, at WWDC, it was a blitz. Like that was where they put me in the room where I could describe. Oh my god! Yeah, the the Grove or whatever, where I could <laughs> I could you could talk about I could how listen it but not describe. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I could talk about how it sounded, but not any of the details of of how it was used because it was it was so early and it and they you know and they were obviously really pushing it hard and it's so brilliant and you know and and everybody immediately said woof that price is too high. And given the um, competitive market there, and they're like, and Apple's response was something like, yeah, "But it sounds good," which it does. I I actually think the HomePod sounds great. I have a stereo pair, and I think they sound great. But it did cost a lot, and when they cut the price, it still cost a lot. The price never got cut to a level that it was sensible for most people. Yeah, to buy. and I think. I think for a good reason, which is it was over-engineered, right? Yeah. Like they made this thing and it was almost like money was no object. They over-engineered the product. They created essentially like a Sonos kind of product, except more expensive even than Sonos. And uh, it was it was a mistake. And you can't cut the price beyond a certain point. You're losing money on every one, right? And the HomePod mini is the answer. The HomePod mini is is Apple going back and saying, what if we make one that we can sell for a low price? And yep. people generally seem to like the HomePod mini. It sounds like, I, I, I don't have one, but it sounds like people generally like them. They're not a HomePod, but the key is that they are priced very differently than the HomePod and that that makes a difference. Now, whether the HomePod mini will work or not, I don't know either, but it certainly seems to be a case where Apple realized that they just they they overshot. They made this over-engineered, super high quality, all of these speakers and and all these sensors and uh and then it, it it was a price that they could never they could never cut enough to make it be worth it. So what do you think from here then? Like the HomePod Mini is obviously a product that they believe in and seems to be doing fine. Will they make any other products? Is it just going to be the HomePod Mini? Like, if it is, is that really the best name for it? Like, what? Right. Where does Apple go from here? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think HomePod Mini, that's the part. We, we're focusing on HomePod Mini, which itself conjures up the HomePod, right? Like it's like the ghost <laughs> of the HomePod hovers yeah. over it. This is the small one of the one we don't talk about, right? Like you can't... It's like Junior was much more successful than his father. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, don't, don't, think, about, don't think about him. Think about me. Uh, and, and it's a little bit like that. I feel like there's probably room here, although I wonder if Apple is wary that they are continuing to make products in this category and haven't seen a hit because their hits are headphones. Their hits aren't speakers. Like 
is is the problem that Apple's competition is too strong here, that Siri is too weak. I think seeding the uh, home speaker space on one level seems like a mistake for Apple because um, the the competition is fierce and their their competition in terms of voice assistants and all of that, they're all in here and they're all playing and playing hard. So Apple needs to be there too. On the other hand, if you think about Apple's home strategy, and their complete lack of participation in huge swaths of the smart home world. You look at the HomePod Mini and you think, really? That's your, that's your product? Is a little speaker? You're not doing mesh Wi-Fi. You're not doing, like, you're not doing all these other things, but you're doing a little speaker that looks like a candle? That's an interesting choice, right? Like, so it, it comes back to something that I know we've talked about before, which is, what is Apple's home strategy? And I don't, I don't know, like not knowing what their home strategy is. I can't answer the question. Is this, you know, the only home pod that we're ever going to see? I would like for them to make maybe a better sounding, more capable home pod that was a little more expensive than the home pod mini, but not the home pod or uh, like a soundbar version. That's sort of an Apple TV home pod fusion, uh, which I've written about a few times now is like, that would be an interesting product. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of ways that they could go, but I'm not entirely convinced that Apple is convinced that this is a market that they can excel in, right? Like that that's my concern is that with the AirPods, they got immediate feedback that it was a hit and they leaned into it. With HomePod, it was a flop and they had to re-envision it. So how is that going? Like, I don't know if we really know whether HomePod Mini is a footnote or if it's showing signs of being, if not a hit like the AirPods, at least a uh, a strong product. Because until I know how Apple thinks about this category, it's very hard to predict what they're going to do here. Because I, I and I'm kind of baffled. Like I don't really understand. Either they need to say, "Nope, we're just out. Other people will play here. We're going to focus on the stuff that we're good at." Or they should probably commit to doing more stuff in the home. And instead, they're just in this weird space where they've got an Apple TV that's kind of mystifying and you've got the HomePod mini don't call it HomePod uh what's the story here so this is the you know you're saying about like uh focusing on what they're good at this should be something Apple's good at like they have the pedigree in yeah. other areas to create now i know apple have now had two failed large scale amazing audio products. It's kind of hilarious that when the HomePod came around, we all made the iPod Hi-Fi joke, and it has fulfilled the same fate as the iPod (laughs) Hi-Fi, that it was over-engineered, too expensive, and people didn't want it, right? Which I guess we can assume is what's happened with the HomePod here. But Apple make great audio products. They make devices that should go in your home. Uh, They should be able to produce something here which is good and not good's not the right phrase works is a better phrase because the home yeah. pod in some areas is a great product and but they seem to have not been able to deliver what their customers were looking for i suppose because mm-hmm. people have these products clearly there are competing products that are vastly more successful Apple wasn't able to make this one one of those things for whatever reason. Yeah, and some of it, I think, is the challenge that Apple... I think the people inside Apple misread 
the audience for these things. And the reason that the HomePod is so over-engineered, and I'm not saying the HomePod sounds bad. It sounds really good. I think my point is most people who buy these things don't judge the quality of audio like the people who made the product do. And that Apple made the mistake, maybe out of the pride of like everything from Apple is better, it's of a higher quality, of making like an audiophile home speaker, which was never going to sell in volume, even if it was labeled from Apple, when they should have made something that didn't, that just didn't sound as good. Like I've played music on my Echo Show. Sounds pretty good. It's not as good as the HomePods. But the HomePods are sort of uh, halfway across the room, Mm -hmm. and the Echo Show is right in the kitchen. And sometimes I'll just play music on the Echo Show. It sounds pretty good. And, And the pretty good, what strikes me about that experience is that pretty good is good enough for lots of people. And Apple misjudged it and tried for great. And it turns out that people didn't really see a lot of value difference between pretty good and great. Plus you throw in the, the assistance like Siri's not that good. It's still not that good. And I, and, and there were lots of issues where uh, Siri would misunderstand things and, um, and, and play the wrong thing. And, and even if that gets better, like you've got to throw that in the mix too. But I think ultimately they just miss, they miscalculated what this market is because unlike Amazon, which tried a bunch of different stuff, Apple, waited a long time and then probably rushed this thing in that was their one shot and they missed. And then they spent two years before they took another shot because so, so they, they were late and they miscalculated and they didn't give themselves a chance to sort of recalculate for a long time until the mini finally came out. So it's a mess. Um, but you're right. They should be able to make a product that's good in this category. And it leads me back to my, my statement before, which is where is, what is Apple's home strategy? What is Apple's in-home strategy? For a long time, it seemed like Apple's in-home strategy was, we don't need one. Everybody's got an iPhone and an iPad and a Mac. And, and we don't, we don't really need a strategy because those, those devices are what's important in the home. And, you know, okay, but your competitors are on the TV and they've got speakers that are listening in your house and they have mesh Wi-Fi networks and you have, you know, a TV box that hasn't been updated in a few years and the HomePod. So like, in, are you in or are you out of the home? And I, it feels to me like Apple's home strategy is we've got this spinoff product the Apple TV that we've kept around and we had this misguided HomePod that sort of led to a recalibration, but I don't see a strategy there. I just see a couple of products they dropped. Do you think there is any realistic thought of some kind of Apple TV pseudo HomePod combo hardware? I Is there a possibility? Sure. I think there's a possibility that Apple, who like a year ago hired a new person to be in charge of their home stuff. I can't decide if that person is you know, the least lucky person in the world <laughs> or not. But the idea that Apple could say, now that uh, now that the, the whole home thing has, the home kit wars have been settled and we're all using this, this uh, chop platform. Which any more news on this would be fantastic. Would this. be nice, right? <laughs> I would just want, is it actually a cons- going concern for these it, companies? Are, are we still chopping? <laughs> is that uh. still happening? I don't know, but 
so maybe they're waiting for something like that. But like, I, I think Apple could say, we have a home strategy now. Here's our vision for the home. As somebody said in the, uh, in the Discord, they built that big home set where they, cut, they have a set of like a home cut in half that they mm-hmm. did that video of. It's like, well, you built that. Like, what, why? <laughs> what, are, what, are you, what are you putting in there? Right? So I would love for Apple to be like, Apple Home is here. And here's what you got. We got a new Apple TV. We got HomePod Mini. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do Apple TV that's also a, a soundbar. So you literally just plug it in once. I think they got the tech for it. They could do that if they wanted to. We are gonna do mesh networking. Uh, the all of our other home stuff also is mesh network. So you add this mesh network thing to your router, and Apple can secure your internet, and it's super easy to use. And all your other Apple devices join and spread the mesh network and isn't that great like they could go all into this if they wanted to do i think they're going to you know it's possible but i see no evidence that there's any impetus at apple to actually press in this category other than honestly other than that they built that set so i have a problem i'll say it's time for me to replace my home pod pair with my apple tv because It continues to be a horrific experience for me. And I am at breaking point with how bad this feature is. Like, it's in the past couple of days. I'm trying to watch a 45-minute show, and the it pauses four times. And one of those times, I get an error telling me it can't connect, and I should change back to my TV speakers. So I hate how bad this feature is. I now have absolutely zero faith that it will ever be fixed for me, because... I just assumed, well, obviously they're going to keep working on this, but now I just don't think it's the Are case. they? Yeah. So Will there be software updates anymore? I Why need to move it? to something else. Um, and I want to move... I have a couple of requirements. I do not want to run a speaker cable literally anywhere, right? I'm not up for a wired home cinema system. Neither do I want seven speakers. Uh, you know, I want right. something simple. We have a small living room. Um I know sound bars are things that people like. I don't know if it will be ideal for how we have our arrangement because our kind of TV cabinet is more to the left of our living room than where we sit on our sofa. So we kind of tilt the TV a little bit. Uh So I feel like potentially a sound bar, depending on the size of them, because I think they could be pretty big. If we set it up right in front of the TV, it would probably hang off the cabinet a little bit. Less than I do. So, I mean, and we could rearrange things if I really found the right product. I just don't know what to go for. Just very cursory Googling led me to the uh, warm embrace of Sonos. Because it seems like they have lots of arrangements um, from their, like, they have their beam systems and then you can put two of their little other systems behind you. And that could work pretty nicely for us. But really what I'm looking for from the Upgradians is suggestions. Do do any Upgradians use some kind of home cinema system or home audio system that they really like? And I would like to have features like Dolby Atmos support because especially with stuff that I watch on my Apple TV, I get a lot of that. And I know Sonos has AirPlay too. I do think I'm probably just walking straight into the arms of Sonos here, right? Like already the Discord is exploding with Sonos suggestions. But I just want to hear from people if they have any other suggestions. I'll say again, keeping in mind Mike's limitations, you will be instantly disqualified if he's running uh, wires all over the place. 
Yeah, I won't do that. I'm not going to do it. So, like, don't tell me how good it is to use wires because it's it's just not happening. I, I would tell you that right now. That I want a wireless system. Um, and I guess the benefit that I would get here, though, is if I use, say, something like a Sonos, to my understanding, it would work with everything connected to my TV, right? Yes. I wouldn't just be, you know, because that's always been a thing for me. Like, when I play games, I have to use the TV speakers, which are fine, but I would love to be able to use whatever system is the best system for me. So uh, I reckon it will be Sonos, but I would, you know, I'm talking about this now because I want to hear from people who like it, but I will also, I assume if there's big problems, inevitably hear those as well, which is always important. Um, but I feel like now for, for me to get what I want, uh, it's not the HomePod because the HomePod's barely doing what I want now. So right. it's definitely not going to do it into the future considering it is now a... Uh, a product in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. Good luck. I think I think you're going to end up with probably having a bar thing in front of your TV. I think you're going to mm-hmm. need to do that. Yeah, I mean, depending on the size of the bar, it would work. I just need to do some. I need to just have some measurements done. Right. I should to, like you know. So like once I work out a good product, then I just need to find a way to make it fit. And I'm sure that we could find a way to make anything fit, but I just have to make some little adjustments. It's not not the worst thing in the world. Uh, but like you know, I, the 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 sitting in front of the TV thing is not a deal breaker. I, I expect that there is a way around that. Like if we could move the TV further back on the cabinet, you know, and that would give us the space, like whatever. But yeah, RIP HomePod. I really wish I wouldn't have spent all that money on you now. <laughs> mm. I haven't felt this feeling in a while from Apple of being annoyed that I made an investment in something that they've abandoned. But I definitely feel that way. Uh, with these products because they are expensive and I did buy my pair when there wasn't deals and I feel like that they've they've moved away from this one much quicker than I would have expected them to without ever really I feel realizing what the product was could have or should have done right I feel like that there were potentially a lot of areas that we were hoping to see Apple expand into with the HomePod that they kind of didn't with this one and maybe now they will with the smaller one but i just do not by any stretch of the imagination imagine this software support is going to be more than just making sure the thing still turns on every day like i don't imagine a lot of features coming to the home pod and yeah i i just feel kind of a, kind of frustrated about this one i feel like that they've they've abandoned it um too soon probably yeah unless they can show me otherwise this episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You know about ExpressVPN. I've told you about them on the show before. So you know that I think it's important to have the ability to protect your online activity from people who might want to track your data. But you can also use ExpressVPN for other great things like accessing content. There are thousands of shows on Netflix, for example, that are only available outside the US or vice versa, depending on where you are in the world. So you would want to change your country if you want to access them. And that's what ExpressVPN can allow you to do. It encrypts your data, reroutes it through a server location of your choice. This protects you, but also can let a website or a service think that you're in a different country than the one that it believes you are. ExpressVPN lets you choose from over 90 different countries. So every time you run out of stuff to watch, fire up the app on your laptop or smart TV, switch 
switch your country to somewhere else, hit connect. Just maybe pick one at random, see what's available to you. You never know what you might find because that's like the wonderful world of distribution deals that sometimes there's content on this service, it is on another. I spoke about this recently, but we just watched uh, all of the West Wing and I wanted to be able to watch the special that they did on HBO Max, but I couldn't do it because it was region locking me, even though it was free if I was in America. So I just fired up ExpressVPN, changed my location over to the US and I could watch it on their website in full HD. I airplayed it to my TV. fantastic. This isn't just for Netflix, right? I spoke about HBO Max, but you can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows or sports and other streaming services too. So for example, if you want a BBC iPlayer, that's available to you. If you switch over to the UK, super simple. There's a reason why ExpressVPN is the number one rated VPN provider by companies like Wired, CNET, and so many more. It's my choice as well. Protect your data and stop paying full price for streaming services while only getting access to a fraction of their content. Go to expressvpn.com slash upgrade right now and get three extra months of their service for free. That's expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Go there right now. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Mark. Is it, quote, screenshot, one word, or screenshot, two words? Oh, boy. It's a style question. Mm-hmm. I, I write, so AP style is screenshot, two words. But writing for a technical audience and not being a newspaper, um, I prefer screenshot as one word. I think because screen space shot sounds very much like you're um, trying to explain a screenshot to somebody who doesn't understand what it is, Yeah, which is probably the right thing to do if you're a newspaper using the AP style. But, um, you know, the, it looks like I have used it both ways. <laughs> Mm-hmm. on six colors so the six color style guide inconsistent as ever hey that is the style guide <laughs> it's inconsistency <laughs> i i think though that i have been um i have been progressing to one word with screenshot i think my you know i i i'm not being consistent with it but if i had to pick one and settle on it, it would be one word especially about for, for technical audiences home screen um home screen Unlock screen. Uh, two two words. Two words. Because mm, okay. then you're describing you're describing a screen. Unlock screen. Home screen. You know that's that's what kind of what screen is that? Um, I would say also here's my funny thing is when I was at Mac user in the '90s, we didn't call them screenshots. We called them screen dumps, which is funny because people would say things like seriously would say things like can you take a dump of that (laughs) (laughs) so then i went over to mac world and um i said the first time i said screen dump (laughs) at mac world the editor looked at me like i was a a monster basically yeah because that is a monstrous thing to say we call it a screenshot Uh, yes yes it's a much better thing to say don't call it kids don't call it a screen dump no one's going to this isn't a psa you need to provide nobody was doing this except you all the way back in the 90s brian asks when do you think we can expect an update to the kindle oasis and what new features would you like to see jason oh man we're gonna get scott mcnulty back to talk about kindles oh that's a that's a deep cut Woo! we did that um 
honestly, Brian, listen, Brian. Um, it's Brian Hamilton. It is. <laughs> the Kindle Oasis, which I love, which is the high-priced, expensive uh, Kindle. I, I assume they're going to update it. I struggle to come up with things that, uh, that uh, Amazon needs to do with the Kindle hardware. Other than that, they should put physical turn buttons on all page turn buttons on all Kindles because page turn buttons are good and you shouldn't have to tap the screen. You should be able to press the, the button to go forward and backward. It's just, it's better. It's nicer. But, um, I, I, so I don't have a lot. I would say always making the screen nicer is better. Always make mm. the screen nicer. That's, that's my number one thing. I still think that the font rendering on the Kindle isn't very good. Like, even now, I don't think the fond rendering on the Kindle is very good. I have a Kobo e-reader, and the font rendering is so much better on that. So, I don't know whether this is just, you know, I think they're using the same kind of screen. So, I think this is a an Amazon rendering problem. But I would say, always improve the screen. I'd like a clearer, prettier screen. And, you know, increase the battery life, I guess. But I don't really care. It lasts a week. Um having it be light is always good. Like I, I feel like the Kindle is already pretty great. So I would hope that, especially the Oasis, which is the high end one, I would hope that they would just keep bringing those features down to the cheaper Kindles because I think Kindles are great and they should be cheaper. And I'm actually disappointed. I thought we would reach the point where Amazon would essentially be giving away Kindles to yeah. prime members yeah. because they want to sell books. And I'm disappointed that what they've instead done is they give away books that I don't want to read to prime members <laughs> as a way to sell Kindles. <laughs> it's not right. Amazon that you do. You went the wrong way there, but um, that's what I want is I want, and they've done a pretty good job. Like the base Kindle is way better than it, than it ever used to be. Um, so keep it up. But um, the Oasis, I honestly, I don't know what they could do with the Oasis. I look forward to seeing it. Um, the last thing they did was like add, kind of the color temperature adjustment, which is just such a minor feature. Like it's already waterproof. It's already got page turn buttons. I'm very happy with my Kindle. I'm not sure uh, what Amazon could do to get me to buy a new one, but you know, Amazon probably does. What about color? Would color be something you would be interested in? Color e-ink kind of isn't there. Like color e-ink is a thing, but it kind of isn't there. And I just read text. I I actually want them to avoid color as much as possible because I don't, I'm not really interested in degrading my reading experience in order to get some color because I'm not really in it for the color. Yeah. And and the size of Amazon's Kindles, like the the color, you, like it's not good enough for comics or something like that. So I guess you could have like, if there were photos and things, you could see them in color. Oh, do you remember the Kindle DX, the big one? Yeah. Wow, silly. Uh, you know, I think the way color e-ink works is that you can do it, but it's at a lower resolution. So you'd 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 click through from text to a picture page, and the picture would be color but kind of crappy, and then you'd go back to the high resolution text the next time. I'm not sure it's worth it, but I'm open to it. I love I love the e-reader, you know, format. I love it. It's not um the problems that the e-readers have is mostly the software and not the not the hardware. So I, I, I look forward to whatever Amazon send, you know, puts on sale. So I buy one because that's almost inevitable, but um, I'm a little doubtful. Ryan wants to know, do we think the AirPods Max are destined to have the same fate as the HomePod? Ooh, destined. Don't ever believe destiny. Um, I think... 
I'm going to say... I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, too. I think the AirPods Max, now they may survive, they may become something else, they may get cheaper, but my concern is that they're over-engineered and overpriced, and then when Apple wants to lower the price, they're not going to be able to, and they're going to end up saying, well, we're going to do a new AirPods Max or a new something that's that's uh, more affordable. Other cheaper over-ear headphones. Yeah, that this yeah. will have been too high-end for what Apple wants to do. I think they made a series of mistakes with this product that they would have to change. Like the case, you know, everyone hates the case and it is a bad design. They are on the heavy side and and maybe that isn't the best. Um, I was having a lot of battery drain issues. They did just release a firmware update. I think it has improved it for me, which I'm really pleased about because, you know, I was having these two pretty big problems, right? Where it was like my HomePods were driving me mad with the TV thing and my AirPods Max were driving me mad because the battery kept dying. Uh, and I think they fixed the HomePods Max thing, or the AirPods Max thing. But ultimately for everything we said about the HomePod, I think the AirPods Max will suffer the same fate purely because as well, the other AirPods are so good and so popular and they re- yeah. like that's that's even a thing they don't have with the HomePod Mini. The HomePod Mini's been doing well, but it is not the level of success that the AirPods have. And I could imagine very quickly in a meeting of prioritization that cu- that product is getting cut straight out. Uh, Ilki asks, with regards to your criticism of the Paramount Plus app, do you think Apple made a mistake by pushing streaming video services to create their own apps for Apple TV instead of making them go through an Apple? controlled interface uh no and the reason is that they don't want to (laughs) all you would have on the apple tv is apple tv plus if that was the route that they took because none of these companies would have wanted to do it there are companies who would rather be in the warm embrace of apple and i think i feel like apple essentially has provided them a template i mean you could i my understanding is you can build an apple tv app fairly straightforwardly if you use the base stuff it's all about um, modifying it. Um, the old Apple TV was like that, though, right? And the, the challenge there is that it isn't a development priority and it's very generic. And like, if if they want to do anything that Apple hasn't foreseen, they just can't do it because it doesn't fit in what Apple wants to do. So I, I, I think that in a perfect world where Apple's presence on, and the Apple TV was so important and so dominant that Apple could bend everybody to their wills, maybe, but that's not the case. This could only have been the case if the iPod never existed. Because it was this was the whole thing at the time, and, and Apple have continued to suffer this issue in certain areas today. Apple so controlled the music industry for a period of time that none of these large companies, like media uh, companies, would trust Apple, right? Like, I'd, like it's the same as the News Plus type stuff. Like, irrespective of the deals and the cuts, you don't want to lose your entire business to somebody else because they end up just controlling the entire market, right? Like, it's like um, Newsstand. Newsstand never took off for this, for this reason. Uh, iBooks never took off for this reason. Like none of these companies wanted to become what the music industry became. And companies, like we talk about this all the time, companies like their own experiences. Yeah, that, good that's or the bad. truth of it. Even, even if they're bad, yeah, even if they they're, bad, they're bad, they want to <laughs> control them. Yeah. They want to control yeah. 
all of that. And so Apple created this idea where they share data with them so you can have the TV app and it launches those apps, but also giving them the kind of power to do their own thing. Um, you know, so my my realistic answer is I don't think it's a mistake because I don't think it would have worked out for them. What Apple should have done, and I don't know what, how they would have done this, is to try and make the TV app more appealing. That's what they should have done. Found some way to to do something, some kind of data sharing thing or whatever, to make the TV app more appealing to more people, like to more companies. Um, I don't know how they could have done that, but I think they didn't do that. Uh, but ultimately, Netflix needs to have a Netflix app. YouTube needs to have a YouTube app, and they need to make them, and they need to look the way that they want. Because again, irrespective of what Apple believes or irrespective of what we believe, these companies think that the best UIs are the ones that they make. Yeah, that's why they make them. Mm -hmm. And finally today, Andy asks, can you recommend a keyboard similar to Apple's USB keyboard that was before the Magic Keyboard? (laughs) Andy, there is a company for you, and it's called Matthias. uh, M-A-T-I-A-S. Matthias' whole thing is making keyboards that look like the various stages of Apple's keyboard design um, and function similarly. So I think this is the closest you're going to get to that style, right? The thin aluminum keyboard with the white keycaps is what I assume they're referencing. Uh, Matthias Keyboards, these are the ones. This is the the keyboard company uh, that makes these types of products. Yep, yep. They've got a whole aluminum keyboard line mm-hmm. that is very much inspired by that last generation Apple keyboard. Yep, and if you want something that is like what what are the the like the that big one that everybody loves, the popular one that everybody loves, Tactile Pro. Yeah, they have they've all of the, those. Yeah, they've got these. Yeah, these keycaps that are that are like Alps clicky keyboard caps, like mm-hmm. the uh, like the original uh, Apple Extended and all of that. And uh, they make those in various shapes and sizes. I mean, they're all they're all really big, which is why I don't use. I have one, but it's enormous, and um, I don't. I don't like how enormous it was. They need to really change their design, but I guess it works for them. If you are interested in hearing Jason and I talk about keyboards in more depth, <laughs> if that's your bag, <laughs> uh, that is what we spoke about and in our Upgrade Plus segment today. That's what we have for you. Would you say we, we discussed that with more travel? Unbelievable. Huh? That Yes. Okay. We can say that if if that's what if that's how you want to try and sell this to people. Yes, we can say it's that. Uh, you can go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up. And not only do you get additional content for every episode of Upgrade every week, the episodes are also ad free, and you get lots of other wonderful benefits for being a Relay FM member, including, which is my favorite, the Relay FM members Discord. You have access to that. It's a wonderful place. I spend so much time there every day. It's just full of great people talking about awesome stuff. Uh, so go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up. Uh, if you have already signed up, thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it. I would also like to thank ExpressVPN, DevonThink, and Spokes for their support of this episode. And of course, thank you for listening. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com. Jason also hosts many shows here on Relay FM, as do I. And talking about shows here on Relay FM, let me take a moment to tell you about another one that you might want to check out, and that is Material. It is hosted by Andy Anutko and Florence Ion, who are both veteran technology journalists who have plenty to say about what's going on at Google. If you want to follow Google's journey, find out the latest in Chrome OS, in Android as well, go and check them out at relay.fm slash material, or search for Material, I guess, and follow Material wherever you get your podcasts. 
Uh, I host many shows here at Relay FM as well. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find something new from your list. Start with material. Maybe there's some more. Uh, I think that's it for this week's episode. Oh, we're also on Twitter. T- Jason's Jasonell. I'm iMike. I am YKE. Um, are we on Clubhouse, Jason? Is that a thing? No. 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 I have, do you know, I've never, I joined one room once and I opened the app, but I never find anything that I want to listen to. Maybe that's my fault. I don't know. Get a lot of notifications, though, for things I'm not interested in. There you go. You got to turn those off. You can turn those right off. I think that was yeah. one of the first things I did. Maybe that's my problem, though. I don't know about problem. anything. Who knows? We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. That was me typing goodbye, Mike. That was nice. I like that.